I am I am I am so honored to do this. Uh Freedom Chaser uh, Freedom Chasers family. The first time I heard uh this phrase, I own a private real estate investment firm, was from Keely Hubbard. It was a mindset shift because the, when she made us say it out loud, I said, I own a private real, real estate investment firm. And I went, I do? Oh, wait, that's right. I do. And so in that very short 30-minute Zoom meeting, she was able to dismantle a lot of false paradigm. Who's Keely? Keely Hubbard is a passionate sales coach with a track record of over $800 million in revenue and 17 years of experience in sales and executive leadership. She teaches authentic sales to business owners and corporations across multiple industries and especially enjoys coaching clients in the real estate investing space on how to raise capital on repeat and build a brand that lasts. Keely is also managing partner of Texas Legacy Vines, a ground-up vineyard development and operation in the great state of Texas. Freedom Chasers family and guests, new family, let us give a freedom, a warm, warm Freedom Chasers welcome to Keely Hubbard. Thank you, Ify. I am... Um... Oh, oh my okay. God, there's music! <laughs> yeah, we got to get you the music here. Yeah, and we're going to do this one too. We're going to do this one. There we go. Yeah, let's go. We got Keely in the house. There you go. I love it. All you do is win, Keely. So we had to make sure that we had to get that in for your intro. We had to do it right. Y'all are so much fun. I've never had an intro like that. Um, you said celebrity guest. I was looking around like, who's she talking about? I'm so grateful to be here. I'm humbled and honored that y'all y'all bring me in. You have a very sp special community. And I think it's gonna be a lot of fun tonight. So thank you very much. You're welcome, Keely. You're welcome. We're super happy to have you here. It It, it is really our honor. I mean, we just try to lay a platform of like-minded people. We bring on amazing guests like yourself. And it's always a great time. It's called an activation Zoom for a reason. We get activated on Sunday night to chase our freedom starting Monday and, and crush it for the rest of the week. But one of the things that we like to do, Keely, to start us off is ask our celebrity guests an introductory question. And is this, who is Keely Hubbard? <laughs> You know, I had a life coach ask me that question one time, um, which was probably a whole nother lesson for another day. It was so profound when you really dig in and figure that out. But um, yeah. I'm a passionate sales coach. I think that's what people know me for the most. I, you know, raise capital actively, but my passion business is teaching sales. I don't think I'll ever not be teaching sales. I feel like it's a gift that God has given me through a lot of, a lot of battles in the arena. I figured out a way to sell that makes me proud. And I really love teaching other business owners the same thing. So that is what I do uh, for my passion business. And then I also have the privilege of being in business with my father. He's my hero, the most incredible man I know. And to be able to be under his leadership in our real estate company is just a joy. So that's what I do most of the time. Spend time at the ranch on the weekends. I just got back from being with family all weekend. Um, so happy to be here. So thank you. Awesome. Awesome. The, the, the pleasure is really ours, Keely. And you had an amazing journey so far. I mean, your resume is just off the charts, but let's go back because we always, whenever we bring on a celebrity guest, we want to understand a little bit on their personal side, right? Their personal journey. We each have our individual journey and it unfolds how it is. And you know how it goes. Things build on top of one another to set our trajectory of where we are today. So I'd like to go back to a point in time in your past where you think is appropriate, where it's like, you could say, hey, y'all, 
this is where it started for me. What's that for you, Keely? Oh man, you know, I am. Um, so I built a really big career in corporate. When I left corporate, I was VP of sales for about 600 salespeople. And I was traveling 23 days a month and it was an incredible journey, but I was at a place where I was just emotionally bankrupt. I'm sure a lot of you felt that at some point, like mentally, emotionally, completely exhausted and felt like God was calling me to a bigger mission. So I left corporate and started my own sales coaching. Well, I should start, I should back up. There's a big lesson here. Before I got into starting my own sales coaching firm, I got into business with somebody else completely unrelated to real estate and uh, put poured my life and soul into that business. And gosh, probably a year into it, it completely folded without a lot of notice, just out of the blue. And I had, you know, had visions of what that business was going to do for my family. Like I already had over $8 million in commitments with, you know, clients, credit card numbers. Like the, we launched day one out of partnership with E-Trade. The day we launched, I run credit cards, money starts flowing in the business and the partnership broke up without a lot of notice. And so it leveled me um, financially, sold my house, sold everything I own. This was in 2017. Wow. And, you know, it left me once all that was over. And I was sitting there like, what just happened? Like I poured everything into this and I started questioning, like, am I really cut out for business? Maybe I shouldn't have left this cushy corporate, you know, job with all the accolades and, you know, the big income and all the things that made me feel what I thought was significant. I thought gave me certainty. And so I was at a crossroads in my life. Do I hire a headhunter? I know I can go back into corporate. I could get another executive role. I mean, but to me that felt like I just had this like stirring in my spirit. That was, that was quitting. And I didn't think that I could look myself in the mirror if I was going to give up that easily. So I got back in the arena and the lesson from that, that I learned that I think can apply to probably a lot of us is that looking back on it, I believe that whole thing fell apart because God was like, Keely, I called you to be the front, the front person. And I went into business with somebody else. He was the front man. I was building his company. I was behind the scenes and whatever you believe, God, the universe, for me, it's God. I feel like God was like, I called you to be the front person. Why are you hiding? behind this guy, nothing wrong with this guy and this partnership. It just didn't work out. But I realized that I was hiding because I was terrified. Were people going to take me seriously? Was I going to be enough? If I was just selling myself, it was so easy for me to sell somebody else's company. And I think there's a big lesson there in building our real estate business. Do we believe in ourselves enough that we're willing to play, play hundred percent, play big in our business and not hide behind somebody else? So that was probably one of my biggest lessons. And the minute that I stepped into the, into the arena, as I call it, and really followed my calling and put myself out there, it was like the floodgates opened of success, of joy, of fulfillment, of all the things that I'd wanted in the first place. So you're always going to deal with that crap in your head. Am I enough? Are people going to care? Who am I to you know start this real estate investing firm if that's what you're thinking when there's all these big players out there that we look at? But I feel like if God put the dream on your heart, it is your obligation and responsibility to do it because there's people out there that need you. So that was probably my, one of my first big blowups that taught me so many lessons. Um, but that's why I'm here today. It's all a part of the journey, right? So Kaylee, how was it for you working through, you know, those negative thoughts that come in your head and actually there's one thing to consider making the leap, but it's, it's a one thing to act and actually make the leap. For those of those that are considering, I mean, there's probably the majority of us on here are W-2 professionals, right? And so, but we have that, I would say if you're here tonight, you have the inward conviction of multifamily real estate, or or you wouldn't be spending Sunday evening with the Freedom Chasers. I, I think that's pretty logical. So 
What would you say to those people that, that here we are in our W-2s, have the inward conviction of multifamily real estate and helping us navigate how that path might unfold in light of maybe leaving the W-2 job or sticking with the W-2 job and, and going down the real estate path? What would your recommendation and advice be? You know, I know that like when you're in corporate, I didn't quit until 18 months after I was at my breaking point of I cannot do this anymore. <laughs> I was literally in the car. My dad took me to the airport. He was always my Uber because he's like, I want to take you to the airport. And I traveled so much. And I literally sat there and cried. I was like, I do not want to get out of the car. I don't want to get on another plane. And so I was at that point done with like, I just want to leave corporate. And I wanted to announce it at the international conference. Like I'm out, y'all burn me out. I'm done. <laughs> That's yeah, what I wanted yeah. to do. But that's not smart, right? You've got to build a war chest. You've got to have a plan before you leave. And so I think in this business, as hard as it is to manage all the things that you have going on in your life, W-2, you've got family, you're building this real estate investing business. I think some people walk away from it too soon and they put all this pressure on themselves. They've got to find a deal because they need the acquisition fees to pay their bills. And you, you can compromise your rules, your own conviction, your guidelines of how you do business because you have this desperation for money that's there. So I always say, no matter what you're doing, keep the income flowing in and it will happen eventually. You just got to be patient with yourself and you're probably going to want to leave a lot sooner than you actually take the leap. Um, but don't leave too soon. Like take advantage of that money that's flowing in. It'll help you make better decisions. Okay. That's really, really good advice. Thank you. And Keely, when did real estate get on your radar? You know, I was in the financial world for so long. So I was in the financial education side of the industry, but my dad's been a Forex futures, options, trader, hedge fund manager since the nineties. He'd done real estate in the eighties, commercial uh, warehousing, leasebacks, all these, all these things in real estate. And when I left corporate, he was like, I want to get into real estate. I didn't have time to, you know, I was building this other business at that time, but it really got on my radar probably around when the other business blew up and I was free, I got all this time on my hands. He's like, are you going to come help me? You know, are you going to come build this with me now? Um, but it was my dad. He was tired of, you know, Forex at that time. If you've ever looked at currencies and how they fluctuate to be able to pull money out of the market, you need, you need movement. And as interest rates were compressing around the world, he's like, I can't make the same returns I was making. So he wanted to get into real estate. Um, and that's initially how it started was looking at smaller multifamily and you know, we did some larger multifamily projects and eventually found our way into agriculture at uh, this stage. But yeah, it's my father. I, I really, I owe him everything for being an entrepreneur. He's been a business owner my entire life. I've just watched him in the arena. And so I'm so grateful that he brought me into this industry. Outstanding. Outstanding. Well, I, I, uh, I came across a YouTube ad from Grant Cardone. That was my introduction to <laughs> I love it. The, the multifamily space. So it just, we all have our journey, right? And we get exposed to different things. And, and, you know, I mean, I, I believe that God is directing my life as well. And so it's just phase by phase. We follow him. Uh, so Ke Keely, capital raise, capital yes. raise. How did you find yourself in this space and, and, and being so successful when it comes to capital raising for real estate deals? You know, when I was in corporate, I was raising capital on the side with a partner. So I started raising capital in 2014 and it was for an options and bonds fund. So it wasn't real estate, but it's still private money. You know, you're having six and seven figure conversations with people. I was hosting dinners at steakhouses. And I mean, we were literally doing old school, like send out uh, mail invitations, fill a room up with 45 people. I'd present and then I'd have meetings and pull people into a, a fund, a privately traded fund. So I started raising back in 2014. So it was a natural progression when I got into real estate with my dad and doing multifamily and now agriculture. So I've been having conversations with people about money for a long time. 
even when I was selling financial education, we were having conversations about their money. Where's, you know, where are your retirement accounts at? How much is in your brokerage account? What are your, you know, retirement goals? What are your life goals? So it's, you know, it's kind of come, I guess, full circle. I didn't see myself coaching capital raising. When I initially got into multifamily, I joined some masterminds and, you know, more and more people found out that I knew sales and that I could help. And so I was asked to speak on stage and I was the MC for a few, you know, real estate events and kind of over time, like, can you please do a program on capital raising? And I didn't have time. Like I was so busy. I had you know, different sales training with corporations and, you know, business owners and other organizations. And so when 2020 hit and I wasn't traveling as much, it, you know, was the perfect time to build it. So that's it just kind of, it all came together because people were asking for it. And I think people most appreciate that I've, they call me the anti-saleswoman and I wear that with a badge of honor. I'm really good at sales, but people never feel like they're being sold because everybody hates that about sales. So that's really my approach is doing the exact opposite of typical salespeople and proving that you can be successful in doing that. Okay. okay. Can, can I ask, can I ask something? Um, yeah, so when you, when you left that, um, when you stopped, you stepped out from behind the shadows, if I may put it that way of, of that individual and, and transitioned into the role that you're in, have you encountered any new mindset shifts that you had to embrace or was this all new for you? And it's been piece of cake, carrot cake, <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's funny if you, cake. <laughs> listen I feel like if you're not ready to like throw your computer out the window at least once a week are you really even a business owner I mean this is like a wild ride of emotions <laughs> especially being in real estate as well I think the biggest lesson that I learned and I have a lot of coaches but this coach that I hired I thought I was hiring her for online marketing and she gave me so much more because she's so much more than that she's like that's not your issue your issue is that you took this hustle culture from corporate that you had to do to build your career and get to the level that you were at. And you brought it into your business and created this self-imposed prison where nothing is fun anymore. Because every time we'd have a coaching session, it was like, I had all these crazy deadlines and all these complex issues of why I couldn't do something. And she was like, are you having fun? I remember her asking me that. I was like, it's not supposed to be fun. I'm here to make money. I'm here to build an empire. And she's like, but why not have fun at the same time? Yeah. And so she's really helped me shift my mindset that it's possible to work less and do more like to get to the next level in your business does not mean that you have to sacrifice time with your family, time with your loved ones, your own personal time, your peace of mind, like it can be fun. And she's, she has this mantra, the more fun you have, the more money you'll make, the more impact you have on people. And I always thought of myself as a fun person, but I got so dang intense when I got into my business. Cause I was like, all right, this is how I got to VP of sales by 30. I'm going to bring that into my business. And it wasn't fun anymore. So I've just kind of sit back and relax. And I'm like, I'm going to do my part and God will take care of the rest. Let the cards fall where they may. The right clients will find me. The right investors will find me. I always fill up my capital raises. I'm a fourth quarter champion. I find a way to win because I always win. It's like, it's that belief and mindset, especially when you're nervous. It doesn't mean that I don't have those fears. We all have those fears, but we have to tell our brain what we're thinking today to be successful. And so there, there's so many lessons, but a lot of it is just managing the mental game on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And I know we're going to cover that here down the road and, and dive in a little bit more Keely, but you know, our, our special topic for tonight was, you know, turning strangers into repeat investors and raving fans. And uh, I want to, you know, some people, they may cringe at the thought of, oh my gosh, like, how do I turn strangers? And like, 
get their money into my deals, you know, but I really like what you said. The, the more fun you have, the more money you make. And uh, let, let's roll with that theme. Let's roll with that theme. How can somebody have fun capital raising? <laughs> it A lot of it is like taking the stress out of it. So one of my clients said this, I was asking him, just like y'all do, what are your wins? Every time we do a coaching session, uh, group coaching, like everybody, what are your wins? Tell me what you're working on. And so she was like, I'm 80%, you know, to my target on this raise. And she's like, and I haven't been stressed. It's actually been really fun. Like I've been enjoying it. And a lot of that is like, we do this to ourselves. We think that we that it's supposed to be stressful. So we go into a capital raise with this angst, like this is gonna be hard, especially in this market and nobody's moving money. Like all these things that pop into our head. And you have to realize that that is just part of the reptilian brain. It's our survival brain that God gave us because at one point in our life, we were running from saber tooth tigers. And so we get into fight or flight very quickly. And in our business, we oftentimes end up in the fight mode constantly. So we go into capital raises thinking this is going to be difficult. This is not going to be fun. It's going to be hard because of the economy and all these things. And just helping her flip her mindset around, like, I'm going to, I'm going to get this thing across the finish line and I'm going to have fun while I'm doing it. And the right investors are going to invest in this deal. And I think you have to tell yourself that on a daily basis, even before you pick up the phone and start calling them, because investors can feel your, either your ease or your angst. People can feel your energy. So you have to decide, how do I want people to experience me? And becoming rejection proof is easier said than done. But just knowing that if it is a closed door with an investor, they're not supposed to be in that deal and that's okay. And the right investors will find you versus I have to get this investor in because I'm $200,000 short of my target and I only have four more people to call. And you start doing that and people feel it when you get on the phone with them. So it's like, we have to center ourselves first before we start calling our investors. So much of it is what you decide to believe between your ears. Mm -hmm. Were you eavesdropping on my first raise? Is that what you were doing? <laughs> Everybody experiences that iffy. It's okay. Once we know better, we do better. But I, I really believe that it doesn't have to be stressful. It can be fun. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Keely, I think part of, you know, what having fun with the raise, right? Having the right mentality, having successful raises, you know, it, it's obviously super helpful to know what you're supposed to do, but maybe even more helpful on what not to do. So maybe <laughs> we dive into some of the things of, of what we all should avoid when it comes to capital raising for our deals. Love it. Let's do it. You want me to start with, uh, are we going off of our list or are we just? Yeah, 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 definitely. Okay. okay. So the first thing, and hopefully this will free a lot of y'all from this um, belief that we have to have this huge, complex ecosystem of automations and technology to be successful raising capital. And I oftentimes say things, <laughs> I know people don't want to hear, but I don't want you to go into this with the wrong mindset. And then you think something's wrong with you when it's not working. So our ego wants the easiest path. Our ego wants it to be easy. Our ego is looking for the easy button, the shortcuts, like tell me what I want to hear because it's going to make my, make my life easier in business. And then when you build all these automations and spend all this time on technology and all this money connecting all these systems together, and then you send out your first email for your live deal and it's crickets, the, there's nothing wrong with you. It's that 
these automations are great, but they are a support system to the foundation of raising capital. And if y'all can just remember conversations equal capital, like just that phrase, I did a masterclass and titled it that back in July, because it always comes back to the conversations. You want to raise money? How many conversations do you have scheduled on your calendar for the week? How many coffees and lunches are you having with investors, with new investors, with people that are making introductions for you? And automations are great. They make your life easier, but I have a couple of clients that have come to me in the last four months that are like, I spent all this money and all this time on automations this year. That was my goal was to kind of fix everything and pull it together. And I'm not raising money. I'm like, it's because we have to talk to people. If y'all remember that movie, the field of dreams, if you build it, they will come. Well, it's the opposite yeah. in this world. If you build it, they will not come. We can have the most beautiful website and automations and emails and 52 blog posts and all this education out there. But if we're not actively having conversations with people and driving people to our ecosystem that we've built, we're not gonna raise money. So if you wanna to get to a place where you send an email and you raise $5 million you know, in 24 hours, it starts with conversations. It always comes back to conversations. I'm coaching um, a very big player in the industry that has 25,000 contacts, 20 to 25,000 emails, right? Investors in the database that can raise that much money in 24 hours. But what I have shown them is if you get on the phone and start making phone calls, you can triple that number because conversations equal capital. So yes, we want to get to a place where everything's automated and our life is easy, but we got to talk to people. This is a people game. We got to have sales skills and we've got to have conversations with investors. So Keely, what are some tips? What's some advice? And, and I don't want to assume anything. I want to to me, some of the simplest questions and fundamental questions are the best questions. Yes. So what would you recommend for our audience today of just how to line up conversations in the calendar? You know, networking is um, something that's got, it's a lead generating activity. Like it's a leading indicator of your business uh, to actually get to those conversations. So when I go to networking events and I'm looking, I'm not just looking for real estate events, I'm looking for everything but real estate events because I want to be the only real estate expert in the room. That is where I generate conversations, the majority of them, that and through referrals from investors. So let me start with the networking events. If you're going to networking events, my own personal rule is I'm just trying to find three people that I can have a meaningful conversation with, learn a whole lot about them to where they really like me. Because that's how you get people to like you is let them talk about their favorite subject, <laughs> which is them. They will ask you what it is that you do. And my goal is to turn that into a coffee meeting three days later. If it's like a Thursday networking event, maybe Monday or Tuesday of the following week. Cause I honestly, like, I'm just being blunt with y'all. I don't like networking. I'm not the person that likes to walk into a room with a hundred people and like work the room. I'm not good at it. I've been really good at sales for a very long time, but that's not like my wheelhouse. I'm kind of a, a lone wolf. Um, but if you don't talk about your business, you're not going to have a business. So we have to do it. So the way that I gamify it is let me find three people turn those three conversations into coffee the following week. And I will always find either an investor from that and an introduction to another group, a speaking engagement. There are so many things that come out of building your relationships within your network. So we've got to make sure that we're out there talking to people. You're not going to raise as much capital if you're just sitting behind your computer, typing out blog posts and posting on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, I love it. You can raise money from LinkedIn, but it cannot be your only lead source. You've got to get out there in your community and start meeting people. The other thing that I mentioned was talking to your existing investors. I believe that we neglect our investor databases. Like we, our existing investor community, because we get so hyper-focused on, got to find new investors, new investors. Well, there's already people over here that trust you. 
that have at some point said like, Hey, I'm interested in what you guys do. Maybe they came to one of your webinars. They've read a couple of your articles. You had a conversation with them. Why are we not nurturing those relationships? Why are we not calling them? Like right now is the perfect time to reach out to your investors. They will be your favorite phone calls. Cause it's like, Hey, Hey Trevor, let's Keely. Listen, I didn't want anything. I just haven't talked to you in a while. I know there's a lot going on in the world. How are you? What's going on? And tell them about some stuff that you have coming up, a way to plug them into some educational things. What, what can you do to help them further their financial journey? Can you bring on some guest speakers? You will get referrals from those conversations. So if it was just two things that you were lining up your calendar with, it's blocking out time to call your investors when you don't have a deal and you're not asking them for money and finding time to get out there in your local community and market and find networking events to turn those into coffee conversations or lunch. That's outstanding. What are like two or three networking events that, that you would recommend that aren't real estate focused, right? Because you said you don't focus on attending real estate networking events. Yeah, there's a couple here that I attend in uh, Dallas. So I'm in Dallas, my local market here. And I fit in very well with female executives. So I found a couple networking groups that are smaller. There's like 30 to 40 people in them, but I've plugged into those groups and being in those groups has got me tickets to uh, nonprofit events where people are you know, bidding for $30,000 for a private chef dinner at their home and like money flying around like crazy. Like there's money in rooms of nonprofits. So I find a way to plug into a group where I'm like, okay, where do I fit in? Where are my people at? Well, I used to be a female executive in the corporate space, VP of sales. I, I've often been asked to speak. That's another tip. If you can get on stage, do it. It doesn't matter if it's for real estate, just get on stage. If you have a skill set as a business owner, you're really good with tech and you find a group and organization that has a bunch of business owners. You think you can add value to the group talking about using technology to streamline their business, ask to speak and you will find, <laughs> you will bring up real estate. Like what's your business? And then you get a chance <laughs> to right. talk about it. Right. So it's just little things. We're always looking for like this, um, the secret, like the one thing that's going to blow up my investor community. It's never just one thing. It's all these little things, all these little lovers that you're pushing on that will bring investors into your community. And you can, I mean, you can raise a lot of money. I have a client that raised 21 million on a little less than 400 investors in his community. You don't need thousands upon thousands of people. You need really good relationships that you could call your investors and have some wild idea like vineyards. <laughs> and they've always <laughs> known us for futures, Forex options and multifamily. And it's like, hey, we're getting into ag. And they're like, I'm in, how much do you want? And they don't even know what the deal is because they trust you. So it's building deep relationships, not a mile wide, half an inch deep, go a few feet wide and really deep within your relationships of your investors. I love that. I love that. So good. I, I'm already I'm making a mental note, Keely, that I got to go back and watch the recording and take of notes. <laughs> Hands Thank down. You. I love that. Hands down for sure. So what's another thing that, that we should avoid when it comes to capital raising? Um, so I know y'all are probably going to be irritated when you hear this word, but you've got a niche down. We hear niche, the riches are in the niches. Y'all heard that before <laughs> marketing, pick an investor yes. avatar and you're like, whatever. I've heard this so That's many right. times. Um, but if you want to, to grow bigger, quicker, you've got a niche down. And the mistake that most people make is they think, well, if I, if I'm only speaking to like one of my clients is a surgeon, he's an orthopedic surgeon. And he, and he didn't make this mistake, but I'm, I'm giving you an example. Like he just, he listened and he really niched down with surgeons. If he said, well, I don't want to alienate all the other physicians out there. Let me just talk to physicians. 
Or let me just, well, what about like this guy came to me the other day, he's in radiology or what about nurses? He's like, and he starts expanding out. I want to talk to everybody in the healthcare industry. A nurse's pain points are very different than a surgeon. And if he can become known for, oh yeah, that's Tyson. He's the orthopedic surgeon and he, he raises capital for real estate and he's in multifamily deals and he becomes known for that amongst surgeons, his business will grow so much faster. So we can't be fearful that we're going to alienate other people. When you start trying to expand out further and further, because you're trying to capture every single person, you water your message down so much that you're talking to nobody. Because there is a very specific group that you know very well. Like if I were to niche down, when I first started, it was female executives. I know what their pain points are. Not, well, what if you did all executives? I'm sure there's a lot of men that want to work with you too. I had a lot of men that found me that were our investors too. But for me to really build quicker, it, I had to niche down to female executives. I know their pain points. I know they're trying to build a big career. I know they have no time to look at their money. So I want y'all to really think about that. Like a very small group and talk about their pain points. You can speak to them very specifically. You will grow quicker that way by niching down. So Keely, how do you know? Sorry, go ahead, Ippy, my bad. I, I Again, I really think that you were that fly on the wall on my first capital raise because I'm a, I'm a critical care pharmacist and I don't know that I spoke to a ton of pharmacists. I was trying to speak to the entire healthcare industry and I think it's fear. I think it's fear that if I just focused on, and I knew about the avatar um, principle, and I think if I just focused on that slim subset, I would not meet my target. Well, I would challenge you to try it. <laughs> I think you're yeah, gonna- I am. <laughs> because you know where to find them. You're like, all right, I'm speaking yeah. to pharmacists or I'm speaking to critical care pharmacists. Where do they meet? Where's their conferences? Where, you know, what podcasts do they listen to? Where do they gather? You're one of them. It makes it so much easier reaching out. We're like, hey, I, you know, I, I know your challenges. I felt the same way about building my wealth. This is why I started getting into real estate. Like, you know, their exact pain points and they trust you because you're one of them. That's yeah. the key. It's like, oh, well, if she's, you know, she does the same thing that I do and she's gotten to this place. That's, that's really cool. Versus somebody else that's reaching out to them. That's not even in the healthcare industry, but it's targeting that industry because they know it has money. They're going to yeah. trust you before they trust somebody else. So you're, you may get to a point where you're talking to everybody, but to get there faster, we got to really niche down. When I first started my coaching business, everything was pink. Like I love pink. I mean, there's pink everywhere. I can show you my desk, but there's even a pink light on the wall. If you can see that over there. Mm -hmm. And because I was really talking to women, y'all, I have way more men as clients than I even have women. But in the beginning to really build quickly to fill, I filled up a program with 40, 44 women, 43, 44 women. I had to niche down and speak to women that needed help in sales. So to get there quicker, we got to go deeper and niche down. But so so Keely, break it down for us just really quickly, bullet point version, what the exercise looks like to determine what my avatar is. I always think like, what is your, what is your career? That's where we spend most of our time. What do you do in your profession? And does your profession have money to invest? So, and th this is not a knock on teachers, but if you're a teacher, I, I probably wouldn't go after that avatar. I would, I would do something different because most teachers are putting all their money into their retirement and they don't have a lot of investable cash. So you've got to layer that on top. Do they have money that they can invest? But what is your profession that you do right now? And start there. What are the reasons that you got into real estate? Not from an active perspective, because I see this mistake made too. We start thinking like, well, here, 
you know, I got into it to quit, you know, quit my W-2 and to have more freedom of time. That's not the path for most passive investors. It's going to take them more time to get there. So you have to think about what are the reasons that I got into this asset class? What was I frustrated with about my money? What was I invested in? Was it stocks, mutual funds, just the traditional retirement route? Why did you start looking? Okay, I need to get into real estate. What were those reasons? And craft your story of why you got invested in real estate. That's the best place to start. Okay. Outstanding. Outstanding. This is too good. And there's just so many different ways that we can we can just go down this <laughs> rabbit hole and that rabbit hole. Oh my gosh. It's just, and I'm looking at the time. It's like, wow, the time is moving super fast. So Keely, let's move on to the next mistake that you see out there that capital raisers make that they should avoid. So this is a sales, a sales tip for y'all. Um I've been using this strategy for, gosh, since 2011, and I've been teaching it since 2013. It doesn't matter the industry that you're in. And, and I teach, you know, not just capital raising, but anything that's high ticket. If it requires a conversation to close a deal, that's my wheelhouse. And I've, I've studied a lot of psychology on human behavior. And so this step in your sale, it's the first step of a four-step sales process that I teach. And the very first step is to disarm the person you're talking to. And I want y'all to type it in the chat. What is somebody's biggest fear when they get on the phone with you? Or what is your biggest fear when you get into a meeting with a salesperson and they offer you something free, right? Like Keely, I'll do a free audit of your website and show you all the places where you can improve your SEO. Like put yourself in those shoes for a second. And that you're like, what's well, free? What is your fear? Yep. You got it. <laughs> There's a catch somewhere. They're going to sell me something. You're going to get locked into something. Everybody's waiting for the pitch. And it's because we've dealt with so many bad behaving salespeople that people are, they're just over salespeople. <laughs> like, they're so triggered by any type of sales behavior. And this might be why people aren't taking you up when on a, you know, Hey, just schedule a call with me. Maybe you keep saying that on social media and you're like, why are people not scheduling a call with me? Or maybe it's on your website and people are submitting their information, but they're scared to get on the phone with you. It's because their biggest fear is that you're going to sell them something or you're going to push them into saying yes. So if that's their biggest fear, the easiest way to disarm them is to give them permission to say no. And when I was brought on, so my, when my sales career really took off, my family owned a franchise of this financial education company. My dad got tired. He's like, this is great, but it's too much work. I don't want to deal with it. I just want to go back to trading. He sold it back to corporate. I did so well in that franchise that corporate said, can you teach, can you come in and can you teach all the franchises your sales strategy? And so I started traveling around to every single center and we started converting the entire company over to a new sales process. And that was the first step I was teaching them was you've got to disarm your prospect. And I would get a lot of sales guys that have been doing it for a long time. And they'd raise their hand. They're like, well, if you give them permission to say no, aren't they just going to tell you no? Like you never do that. Don't tell people they can say no. And if y'all think about traditional sales or even what you've experienced when you've talked to a salesperson, they're typically trying to get you to say yes as many times as possible in the conversation, because somehow magically, if you say yes, six times, you're going to say yes at the end. It's so stupid, right? That's yeah, not how that's sales true. works. <laughs> and then we, then we're like cautious of it. We're like waiting for it. like, oh, they're trying to set me up for something or put me in a corner and ask me these setup questions. And they're going to take this information and use it against me. 
That's what they're terrified of. So we have to do the exact opposite. And when we give them permission to say no, what happens instead is all of a sudden, like there's, you'll see, literally see their shoulders relax. So here's how, here's how that would sound. I would say, Trevor, what we do isn't the perfect fit for everybody. And so I'd love to just ask you some more questions to better understand your world. Are you okay with that? I Trevor, am. right? Everybody always says yes. And it gives us permission to ask a bunch of questions. And then I would say, you know, we might have a great conversation today and really enjoy it. But for some reason, you decide that this just isn't the right fit. You don't want to invest in our deals. It's just not the right fit for what you're looking for. If you get to that point, are you okay telling me that? I am okay. They always say that. And then I always double check it. Are you sure you seem like a nice guy? <laughs> I'm sure. And, and then they laugh. And I go, yeah, of course I'll tell you. <laughs> they know twice already. Yeah. And all of a sudden they're like, okay, she's not going to try to push me into this. I'm allowed to say no. What you have to make sure that you do is you also have rights. It is not your job to just get on the call and answer all their questions and try to be really helpful and do the whole dog and pony show because people are trained to, to treat salespeople like we're subservient. That's okay. Right. If you're a business owner, you're a salesperson. <laughs> so we yeah. also get to say no. So what I would say is Trevor from um, from my perspective, there's certain qualities that we look for uh, in investors in our community and also in the types of opportunities that we offer. And if for some reason, I just think that it's not the right fit um, from my end, are you going to be okay if I let you know that? Yeah, I'll be okay. Well, yeah, I, I hope you would. And now Trevor knows that there you have to qualify to be a part of the investor community, not in a snotty way. It's in a very polite way, but I'm just saying like, it has to be the right fit from both sides. And I'm also subtly saying, I don't need your money. Like you have to qualify to be in these deals. You have to qualify to be an investor. So let's have a conversation and talk about it. So disarming them, you will have so much more of a productive conversation. I teach that it doesn't matter the industry that you're in. It's not just in capital raising. You have to do this in every single sales conversation, or they're going to keep their cards close to their vest. They're not going to tell you the, the challenges that they're having with their investments because they're afraid you're going to use that information against them because that's what every salesperson does. And when you start your calls off like this, you're a breath of fresh air. You're the exact opposite of what they've experienced with all the salespeople they can't stand. So we've got to disarm our people. So Keely, so the context here is, you know, they've booked a call with you. You're on the phone together, right? So, mm -hmm. so somehow, some way you got them interested to at least schedule a call with you, right? So that's the context of this dialogue that, that what you and I just went through. Yes. How can you disarm people when you're just going about your daily life? And like, for example, I was at a three-year-old birthday party two hours ago, two and a half hours ago, right? And it didn't come up, but what if it does come up? Something about investing, right? And what I do and, and how do I have that conversation? How do we have that conversation to disarm them at the beginning so we can have something productive? Love that. So first thing is drop the enthusiasm because every sales person out there is really excited about what they do. Cause that's what we've been told, right? Be really enthusiastic, be really positive, talk to as many people as possible. And that's how you're going to, you know, grow your business. And it, people, people are so triggered when they meet somebody that's really excited about what they do. And I can't wait to tell you about all these deals. And they're like, oh my gosh, the selling has begun. And I'm not <laughs> right. sure you've done that Trevor. You don't seem like that type, but we have to be very matter of fact about it. When we describe what we do, we, I would definitely say like, it's not, it's not the right fit for everybody. It takes a very specific type of investor, but I typically work with, and then fill in the blank. Who is it? Is it business owners? And who are you talking to? So if I typically work with female executives, but I'm in front of a business owner and I know that because I've asked them a lot of questions about what they do, then I would say I typically help business owners. 
And they usually reach out because they're frustrated with, you know, they made good money in their business, but they're frustrated with their investments. Been riding the stock market roller coaster for some time. Their investments are still flat, you know, over the last couple of years and they want to get into real estate. They don't have the time to deal with it. A lot of them tell me they're tired of paying, you know, all the taxes that they're paying on their investments and want some tax advantages. And I help them do that through real estate. My team handles all the hard work. We go out and we search and, you know, purchase large apartment complexes. They get all the benefits of investing in real estate without all the headaches and liabilities and all the nonsense that comes with being an asset manager. But we're, our goal is to just pique their interest where they're like, well, how does that work? And, and we do that by discussing the pain points. What are the pain points of the investors that you talk to? Not, you know, I, I acquire, you know, class uh, A and B apartment complexes across the Southwest, Southeast region of the United States. My team's got $45 million under, right? Like that sounds yeah. fun to say. And it's like, oh, I sound really cool, but it doesn't bring anybody into the conversation. So instead it's, you know, I work with business owners and they're typically frustrated with their money. They make great money in their business, but their investments are suffering. And they usually don't have enough time to dedicate to focusing on, you know, how to get better returns. And they want to get into real estate, but they don't have the time. So it's conversational on how we're doing our elevator pitch, but it's to pique their interest and draw them in. And at some point say it's not, you know, perfect for everybody, but it's usually business owners that have had success in their company, but are frustrated with their investments. So okay. that is a very disarming way to present it where they want to ask you more because they're not afraid you're going to pitch them on it. Okay. So, so I just want to make sure that, that I caught everything with what you just said from a high level. Okay. First of all, you want to be nonchalant about it. Not that you don't care, but you're kind of nonchalant about it. Right. And, and when somebody asks, what do you do? It come, That question is asked thousands of times, right? What do you do? So, so there needs to be some sort of forethought on, okay, how can I tell this person what I do in a, in a short and concise way? But then it sounded like that kind of dovetails into telling them, here's who I help. Here's the kind of person that I help. And yes. having the going through the exercise of being able to say that in a concise but yet intriguing way, you're just kind of throwing it out there, right? Like if they buy, if they buy, if they don't, I'm not going to push the envelope. What, and you probably know, yeah, yes, perfect summary. And you probably know what their challenges are because you've asked them everything about what it, what do they do? What makes them excited about that? How long have they been in that industry? What's their, you know, 2024 goals? They're like, man, I really like this Trevor guy because you're letting him talk about his favorite subject, which is himself. And then he'll say, well, what do you do? Yeah. And now, you know, and it's like, well, I typically work with, you know, very successful professionals, been in, you know, the corporate world for a long time. They make great money, but they're frustrated with their investments. You need to work, use pain words, frustrated, tired, nervous, worried, upset. That's what draws people in to being interested in what it is that you do. Okay. Outstanding. Outstanding. Uh, Keely, we probably have just, just to let everybody know where we're at with time. We probably have 10 to 15 minutes left with, with me, you and Ify talking shop right here, and then we'll open it up for Q and a. So I would say in, in light of that, what's another, uh, aspect that we should avoid when it comes to capital raising. I wrote them down over here. So I make sure I wouldn't forget, um, okay. product vomiting, product vomiting. And, and I've used that phrase since I started teaching sales in 2013, but, you know, we're always taught, like, be really positive and be a people person, be enthusiastic, know your product really well, know all the features and benefits of it. Make sure that you're, y'all probably heard of value selling. 
And all it's created is a bunch of really excited salespeople out there, just product vomiting all over everybody about why they should invest in, in multifamily and look at the equity multiple and look at how fast your money can grow and look at the cash on cash returns. And oh my God, I'm so excited. We're under contract on this deal and we're just vomiting all over them and people are smiling at us and they're being nice, but we're triggering them because we're being the typical salesperson. And so right. I call it, you know, sales malpractice when we pitch what we do the logical, what we think is the logical solution. Like we think everybody needs to be in multifamily. No, they don't. Okay. Everybody is not our investor. And if we make the assumption that everybody needs to be in multifamily, we're pitching the logical solution without first figuring out, do you have the problems that I fix? So we have to reverse the way we think about sales because we've literally been programmed that it's, I got there and talked to as many people as possible. And so you find yourself vomiting on everybody. Well, somebody, you know, I'm just going to, somebody's going to, somebody's going to respond. Somebody's going to want to invest with me. That is an exhausting way to go to go about it. And every other salesperson is out there doing that, thinking that their product is perfect for everybody. And so they're vomiting on everybody too. So instead, I want y'all to change the way you think about it to somebody has to earn the right for me to tell them about what we do. They have to earn the right for me to describe how my deals work, how the investing firm works, how the deals are structured. And the way that they earn that right is they have to qualify and they have to show you that they have a compelling reason. What's not working in their existing investing strategy that would make them even consider it. I'm not wasting my time describing how the vineyards work. If I'm talking to somebody that's in Bitcoin, that's making 40% year over year, why <laughs> right. are we having a conversation? Right. I'm not going to waste my time unless you can prove to me first that you have a compelling reason to fix something that's not working. You've got to talk to me about what's not working in your existing investing strategy. Why not? How long has that been going on? How is it affecting you know, your retirement accounts? At this point in your life, where did you expect you would be at this stage of your life when it comes to retirement savings? What's missing there? What do you think it's going to take to fix it? Have you ever tried to, you know, invest in something to fix the gap or to fill the gap? Like I've got to ask all the same questions a doctor would ask. So they don't commit malpractice. They don't just say like, if I go into the doctor and say, my back hurts that, well, you need surgery. That would be malpractice. How do they know? They didn't ask all those questions. So we have to think of our business that way. I can't commit sales malpractice by assuming that you need to be invested in multifamily when I don't even know if you have the problems that I fix. Let's talk about it. Here's what other investors typically complain about when it comes to their investments. I don't suppose that resonates and tell them what you're hearing from other people. So y'all, y'all probably seen, I mean, everybody's read luxury magazines. <laughs> you find a watch on there that you love and you're like, oh man, how much does this thing cost? And you look down in the bottom right here in corner, it's like a little asterisk call for pricing. And you're like, oh, that's expensive. I want y'all to think of your business as like, I'm the call for pricing investment firm. I don't just, you know, tell everybody how my business works. They have to earn the right to hear how my business works. And they do that by having a conversation around what's not working in their existing investments. And it's a mindset shift, but it will save you time and it will elevate how they view you versus the typical salesperson. Billy, is that conversation typically happen on like a scheduled call or is that something that you see just across the board? You could be at the park or something or at the grocery store or you'd say reserve that conversation for a scheduled call? Um, I don't get deep into it. So there's levels to what I call a pain funnel of what's not working. I'm looking for like the emotional compelling reason, how it's making them feel about their money. We're not having that on a park bench, but I'm looking for an indication that there's something that they're frustrated with 
about their money. And to me, that says, okay, that's worth setting up coffee next week. Cause I'm not going to try to pitch them when we're sitting together on a park bench and there's a lot going on. I'd rather have a coffee conversation about it the following week. So if there's an indication that something's broken or something's not working, that's worth my time. Okay. That makes sense. So, so let, let's say, let's use the scenario of the park bench, right? You have a conversation, they're intrigued. And, and, and the reason I'm asking this question and, and kind of building up to it is I want to understand your process. And you can, you can tell me, Trevor, chunk process is out of, we already talked about that with mistake number one, but that's how my engineering brain works. It's like, yeah. I like, I like systems and I like, okay, we go from here to here, to here, to here. Yes. I'm, I'm an engineer, by the way, by training. Love that. So, but, but the, the intersection of two people's lives come together on a park bench. You have a great conversation. You schedule coffee. Okay. You take a deeper dive into, I guess, what they're looking for and, and see if you're fit for one another. Okay. Mm -hmm. But then, but then eventually you have to move them along. Let's call it the sales pipeline, the investor sales pipeline. What does it look like after that? So I'm putting them into the ecosystem. I'm plugging them into my investor ecosystem. If they have proven to me that they've got a compelling reason that they will show up to virtual meetups that I'm doing, like stuff like this, right? If you're doing it for passive investors, that they're willing to learn more about how, how this whole process works. And if I have a live offering that I'm raising for, I'm not pitching them on that. I'm just saying this offering is going to close soon, but you know, what'd be really cool is if you want to be a fly on the wall and see how the whole process works. It's a live investment opportunity. You can see, you know, how the deals are structured, probably give you a great idea of some questions you might want to ask. You'll meet a lot of other cool investors that'll be showing up to the webinar. They're still getting pitched on it, but they're going into it with the mindset of I'm a fly on the wall. They're not trying to close me on this deal. Let me just see how this whole thing works. So it's plugging them into your investor community and making sure that you're educating them and not just through email. Like we've mm -hmm. got to find a way where we see our investors. The more that you see them, the more capital you're going to raise, the more they're going to stay connected. It's a lot, it's easy to write emails. I understand that it's a lot easier, but at the bare minimum, make sure that you've got videos in your emails with your face, like teaching them a strategy, a tip, an investing tip, a story. So, you know, you just got off the phone with an investor and you're like, man, everybody needs to understand that. Cause I'm sure a lot of people are making that mistake. Record a video right then, send it out to your investor database, schedule virtual meetups, places where they can come in and plug into your ecosystem and they can see your face because we can't just count on them to read our emails. And a lot of times yeah. we think I can't email them unless it's 1500 words and this long newsletter that nobody cares about. If we're just being honest, right? They don't care about podcasts that we were on and the event that we're going to. <laughs> like We spend all this time making this crazy newsletter and they're like, I don't have time for that. Because the way the brain filters things, if you can't help me survive or thrive, it's it's noise. And I'm so overwhelmed right now because I'm getting 10 emails from my kids' school that I got to filter through. Yeah. So finding better ways to communicate with them and keep them warm in your process. And that's phone calls. It's checking in with them. It is video. If y'all could just start recording video and emailing that out, like that is a huge step to get people used to seeing your face. One of my clients started doing that. And his concern was, Keely, I don't want to email him too much. And I'm like, well, what are you, when are you emailing them now? He's like, when I have a live deal. I'm like, so you're only pitching them. Like, why not just start? And he's in New York and Man Manhattan. I'm like, record yourself walking down the street. Like that's such the, like the Manhattan vibe. They know you for just like say, Hey, it's Nishan. I'm listen, I'm headed to a meeting, but I just, I had a conversation with an investor. I had to tell you this tip, um, something, a big mistake that a lot of investors make. And I want to make sure you're aware of this. And it's a two minute video, send it out to your database. Like we have to make it easy to communicate with them.
but that's crucial for keeping them warm before your next raise. That's good. And for them getting plugged into the ecosystem, do you send them to your website where they put in their information? Or are you asking for their information and, and you have somebody on your team put it in? I think it depends on the conversation. Don't just add people to your database. I get emails all the time. And I'm like, I know somebody just added me in this industry. I know they added me to their database because they spelled my name wrong. And nobody wants to get right, like put in somebody's ecosystem unless they asked for that. So I would ask those questions like, and at some point in the conversation, you're at, a, you know, the coffee conversation say, you know, based on our conversation, I think you'd be a great fit for our investor community. I think you'd really get along with a lot of people that are in there. Um, do you want to join the investor club? It's completely free, but let me walk you through how that works. And you talk about how they can plug into the ecosystem and get their email and get them all set up at that time, or if it's over zoom uh, in a meeting, but we don't want to, we have to get out of the mindset of how many emails do I have in my list? That doesn't matter. We don't want to be a collector of email addresses. We want to be a collector and cultivator of relationships. That's good. Man, that's really good. That's uh, Keely, uh, we're coming up here on our Q&A. Yes. I know that that really the, the ultimate aspect of excelling at capital raising is what's between our ears. What's between mm -hmm. our ears. So before we transition to a little Q&A, what do you have to share with us in regards to the kind of mentality that one needs to have to be a successful capital raiser? It's something that we overlook. And I'm, I'm not like a touchy-feely, like woo-woo person, right? Like close your eyes and envision yourself, you know, achieving your goals. <laughs> I've done that stuff before. And I'm like, whatever, what needs to be done to get there? <laughs> so that's not really my style, but I, my sales coach back in 2010, when I hired him, and he was my executive coach through corporate. And I just rehired him again because he's amazing. But he'd make me journal. And I was like, what? I don't write my feelings down. He's like, no, that's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to write down who you need to be today to be successful in your business. And a lot of times we think, what are the actions that I have to do to get the things that I want to be that successful version of myself? And we have to, we have to rework that. It, it's not, what do I need to do? It starts with who do I have to be to do the things I need to do to have the life that I want. And you have to decide from the very beginning who you have to be today. So who do you see yourself out? You're in the middle of a capital raise. And like when I was in, uh, when I was selling in my, my family franchise, I was terrified y'all. So scared. This was like, this was 2009 when we bought the business. And I was in my early twenties, didn't understand the financial markets. My dad and brothers were traders. And all of a sudden I'm thrown into a sales role to save the business. And I didn't think I had what it takes. And I remember looking at the number one guy in the network, number one sales rep in the network. He was making like 600,000 a year. And it was already two months into the year. The international conference was coming up in 10 months. And there was a club called president's club. It was the highest level of success in the company. And I saw, you know, pictures of him on stage. I was like, man, I want to be that person. So what would he do today? Who does Keely have to be today to have the success I want to have? How would she dress? How would she walk into the office? Like what phone calls would she make? How would she act in a sales conversation? Would she shrink back when she's scared to ask a question or would she be bold and follow the sales process? And it always comes back to who do I have to be today to play full out in my business? Because if we show up and we say, well, you know, who am I to be, who am I to be like this huge multifamily operator in the industry? If you believe that you're not going to follow through, you're going to play at 70% or 60%. And then you're going to get 60% of the results. And then you're going to say, well, I knew it, Keely, like, who are you to be this person in this industry versus 
I saw myself on that stage. I walked the stage as the first woman in the history of the company that achieved President's Club. And I did it two months less than everybody else. And it's not because I was so amazing. It's because I decided how would the number one sales rep in the company act today? Would she be scared or would she be bold in her conversations? How would she sit in the chair when she talks to prospects? How would she walk through that campus as a leader of that entire organization? Like I started embodying that person and that's, that's the only way that I got there. So I would encourage y'all to think for me to be successful in this raise that I'm going into, and maybe it's a big number. It's one you've never hit before. How would the, that version of you, what would they do today? What would they believe to be true about themselves? I don't know how, I think by the grace of God, I am somehow connected to a billionaire that I could pick up the phone and call right now and they'd answer the phone. And this person said something profound and I will never forget it. Just very casually in a conversation. He said, I always win. We were talking about the next venture. He's like, I always win. And he just kept talking. I was like, in my mind, I was like, I am going to remember that forever because it's that belief system is the reason why he wins is because he believes he always wins. That's right. I'm a fourth quarter champion. I always find a way to get these deals across the finish line. I am a winner. I always win. And if you believe that going into a capital raise, you will follow through with the actions required to get the results. So that's what it comes. I know it's probably a longer answer than what you wanted, but like, who do you have to be today, tomorrow, Monday morning? Who do you have to show up as to get the things that you want in your business? What do you have to believe to be true about yourself? And, and it's well, more it's than a, just, oh, sorry, go ahead, Ify. No, I was about to say, it's just a, it's a deconstructed version of faith. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead, Trevor. So Kill, you, you would recommend, I mean, you can't just think about this stuff, right? That's where the journaling comes in. Mm-hmm. There's something about putting pen, pencil to paper, right? Of like, who do I need to be to accomplish X, Y, Z? And who do I need to be today, right? That was yeah. key, who do I need to be today? It's the I am statements. If you want to be on stage, you should be writing down, I'm a highly sought after speaker. If, if you want to be on stages, you, that's what you have to believe to be true about yourselves, about yourself. If you want investors to, investors can't wait to talk to me. Like you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't want to bother them. Change that into investors can't wait to talk to me. I'm yeah. the number one multifamily operator in the industry. I always win. Like you have to, and writing that stuff, don't type it out, write it down. There's science behind actually physically writing it down. I have a journal that I flip back through and I'm like, man, what was I going through on that day? Why I wrote that. And it's usually our insecurities that pop up that make us want to shrink and play small in our business. That's especially when it matters is what do you have to believe to be true about yourself? Outstanding. Let's say, let's open it up for Q and A. If you have a question, I saw a handful of questions come in through the chat. Hopefully those people that asked those questions in the chat could raise their hand and they could ask them to Keely directly. That would be fantastic. So if you have a question, raise your hand. And, and while the questions are, are coming up here, Keely, <clears throat> people line up to, to ask you, tell us what you have going on right now and what's on the horizon for Keely Hubbard. Oh, I love that. Um, so a lot of stuff going on in the vineyards. We are, uh, we've got close to a thousand acres right now. We're planting another 300 this coming spring. And so just a lot of industry conferences to sell these wine grapes, doing the winery tour in Texas. So going through wine country and talking to uh, winery owners and GMs and winemakers. And a lot of that this year is uh, we'll be the biggest operator in the state uh, by the end of next year. And we'll control more than half of the wine grape supply in Texas. So big focus there on the real estate side. Wow. Really cool. Really cool. Awesome. Well, it looks like we got Yoshi here lined up. Let's get you unmuted. 
and fire your question away. Hi, guys. First of all, I want to say thank you so much for hosting it. Once I saw that somebody posted that Keely was speaking, I was like, I have to be there. Um, so huge fan over here. I got introduced by um to you by Sandia. I met her at an event and she was like, You guys have to start following Keely. So I've been following you since then. Um, I do have a question. As a newbie of raising capital, I have never well, I have only raised capital on little deals. Um, and it wasn't much. So what are books or something that you recommend us um to do or something to read for us that are new starting in capital raising? I love that. Thank you for your, your sweet words. I appreciate that. I just love Sandia. So anybody that's a, a friend of Sandia is a friend of mine. Um, you know, I would say that the fact that you've already raised, I would change your language about the deals you've already done. Like I'm primed for success because I've already raised on several deals versus I've only raised a little bit of money on a couple deals. You're prepared because you've already raised. So I want you to think about, change the way you think about it. And I could give y'all books all day long, but the reality is what's going to help you raise and build your business is talking to people and building your ecosystem. Some of y'all are probably too young for this, but uh, my oldies in here know what are the old school Rolodex. Remember the Rolodex? Like who's in your <laughs> Rolodex? I want y'all to think of it that way. Am I becoming a collector of people and nurturing and cultivating those relationships? There's so many sales books out there. And if you start reading all of them, they're just going to confuse you because they're going to have conflicting strategies. What I would tell you to study psychology, the best place to start is a book by Dr. Cialdini that's called The Psychology of Persuasion and Influence. And it's a classic book. But if you can understand why people think and behave the way that they do, you can be successful in sales. So I banned myself from reading books in my business. I know that sounds crazy, but because um, I was using it as a creative form of procrastination because I was there were things I was scared of thinking I'm not ready to put myself out there yet. I need to read another, another book, listen to another podcast, buy another course. And we sometimes can fall into that trap as business owners where we think we need more education when what we really need is to start doing, stop consuming, start creating. So I think you're ready, Yoshi. Just start, get out there and start talking to people and build your ecosystem, build your relationships with investors. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you for um sharing that. Just because I did spend a lot of money this year when it came to mastermind, just thinking that I wasn't ready. So I just kept investing and investing. And now I'm like, no more masterminds. I need to just go ahead and take action. Um, I do, however, have another question. Um, whenever you do your journaling, how do you do it? Is it daily? Is it weekly? Is it monthly? It's daily. It's daily, and it's like 10 minutes. So whatever, incorporate it, put it into your morning routine, whatever your morning routine is. And if you don't have a morning routine, you got to get one because it will change. It will help you. It will change the way you show up to your day and how you execute on your business. But I do it daily and maybe it's 10 minutes. Sometimes it's two pages long because I'm really dealing with a lot of head trash. <laughs> Sometimes it's just, it's really quick. Like, what do I need to believe to be true about myself? Who is Keely? The version I see myself of at the end of 2024, what would she do today? but I would encourage you to do it daily. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for answering my question. Thank you. Of course. Thanks, Yoshi. Appreciate you coming tonight. And Keely, what's the best way for people to get plugged into what you're doing? Is it LinkedIn? Is it other social media avenues? What would you recommend? I'm the most active on LinkedIn. Um, and I, I do a once a week email called Capital Raising Chronicles that or just sales tip for raising capital. But I, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So please find okay. me there. Yeah, yeah. We're... We definitely have Keely's link in the chat for her LinkedIn profile. You guys make sure y'all connect with her there. All right. 
Stephen Love. Let's get you up here. Let's get you unmuted and fire your question away. <laughs> Thank you. Good evening, everybody. Good well, evening. I actually, Kelly, you mentioned you're in Florida. I'm here in Florida as well. That's awesome. Um, I've got two questions for you as well. Um, one of them I asked earlier in the chat, and it was basically, and I, I think you kind of did this, but I was still somewhat confused, which was trying to see if you could walk me through an example of a problem um, that a multifamily investor that you were trying to interview, if you would, or, or see if they qualify. What would be an example of a, a problem? Because I hear that, and I'm like, how do you apply a problem? Like, if they're coming to invest or you need an investor, what would be a problem for them? So I want you to think about, let's separate, um, great question, by the way, and let's separate first the more experienced investors. People that have already invested in a bunch of different syndications are going to have different challenges than somebody that's brand new. So we're just going to set them to the side for a second. But if you're talking to somebody that's brand new to real estate, they are likely invested in uh, the stock market. They're in mutual funds. They are in traditional 401k and IRA type of investments and they haven't yet gotten into real estate. So I want you to think about your own story. Why, why did you choose to diversify some of your money out of the stock market and into real estate? So I would frame that as a lot of investors that I talk to are feeling nervous about this economy, right? So using our pain words, nervous, upset, worried, frustrated. So a lot of investors that I talk to are nervous about this economy. You know, they're frustrated that they've haven't made any money in the stock market in the last two years and are tired of riding the you know stock market roller coaster. Many of them tell me, Keely, I want to invest in real estate, but I don't have the time to deal with it because they're very successful, uh, you know, professionals, working professionals. So that's how I would apply it. It's like you're telling them instead of saying you're probably frustrated with this, it's triggering if we do it directly versus it's social proof. If you say investors that I talk to on a daily basis, this is why they reach out. This is what they want help on. And then after you give them a couple examples of what those pain points are, you don't want to use a setup question like, you know, do you struggle with that too? Because it's triggering if we say it that way. Yeah. So there's a lot of science, there's probably a whole nother lesson on this that I teach in sales, but it's called uh, a negative question, the way that we frame it. And instead we just say, I don't suppose that resonates or I can't imagine you've experienced that. And I'll say, no, well, I mean, yeah, things could things could have gone better in the stock market. It's like, Hey, I, I get it. I hear that a lot. What's going on. Absolutely. And that's, that's how we get into the conversation about what's not working. And it makes it a safe place for them to admit it because you're saying people just like them, they call me all the time. They're like, Keely, I'm frustrated with the stock market. I've lost money over here, nervous about the economy. And it makes it a safe place for them to admit that everything is not perfect in their investments. Thanks, total sense. Thank you. Second you question I have is one that um, it's like attacking the big elephant that's in the room. So I and uh, mentioned, or you mentioned um, showing your face more, especially when you start talking to investors, like you were mentioning the video. And I'll be honest with you, um, this is a big this is a big problem for a small community of people, probably. But um, I've tried to show my face less. And the big reason why I've done that is because, and I, I know this is kind of crazy, but I actually had an investor. This is why it actually precludes, I didn't go into real estate as fast as I wanted to and didn't do it until later on because I actually made the mistake of listening to this guy. But I had a potential investor who I talked to on the phone and via voice, he was like, oh yeah, absolutely. Surprisingly enough, when he actually saw my face, he was like, oh yeah. 
of how I look in something that's there. And in the particular area in which I live, this is a literal real life thing where we will come in contact with people who via voice and via email would be willing to invest with you all day long. When they see you, it's like the most nicest way possible. They don't want to invest with you because of your race or ethnicity. So how do you overcome challenges like that? Because if I can overcome challenges like that and actually meet more solid individuals, it would help me out tremendously. You know what I would tell you, Stephen, is those aren't your people. If they don't like the way you look, they don't deserve to be in your deals. That's my own personal opinion. It is not your job to try to fit into their box of what they expect you to be. I would find investors that love the way you look and or don't care about how you look because you're here to help them. One of my uh, clients was really nervous about putting her uh, husband on her website because he's a police, police officer in New Orleans. And she was like, people hate cops here. I said, well, then they're not your investors. If they can't respect the fact that he goes to work every single day and puts his life on the line for your family, they're not your investors. So I would look at it that way. They don't deserve to be in your deal if they don't like the way you look. Like, do you really want those people? Do you want that energy in your business? So I would change it and say, hey, it's, you know, no hard feelings, but like, this is me. This is my business. If you don't like the way I look, you don't like that I'm a woman. You don't like that I have this crazy Texas accent. You don't like that I'm kind of goofy and weird. You're not my client. You're not my investor. Like, this is me. And there's so much freedom in showing up as 100% you, unashamed. Your tribe will find you instead of trying to fit into other people's boxes and molds. I would encourage you to expand and show yourself more and who you are. And your tribe will find you. And I'll definitely, I'll try because I'll be honest with you. That was the answer that I was expecting because I've heard it before. It's just, and, and I said it earlier, you're, you're from Texas. I'm from Texas, but I live in Florida. But uh, it's just here, unfortunately, and I've tried to expand my my horizons outward away from Florida or at least away from this area to find investors because you, you want to meet with them. You want to have that face-to-face. You want to have that connection. But unfortunately, just in this particular area where I'm at, it, it's, it's still a problem that exists in 2023. Yeah, and it's, it's unfortunate that it is a problem. I would just expand outside of that. And shake it off and don't let it affect the way you feel about your business because there's people out there that need you need you to keep sharing your message. They desperately need you to keep talking about what you do. Don't let anybody make you feel like you have to shrink or hide. You, your face is your company. So Thank show you. it more. <laughs> Stephen, we appreciate you being here tonight. Thank you so much for your questions. Keely, with that... I think we're going to wrap up here. We're already three minutes over time. We want to respect everybody on what they have going on the rest of their Sunday evening and getting ready to rock it at work tomorrow. But from all of us, first of all, before we conclude, can we get some fires in the chat? Like Keely was dropping some gems tonight. Like that was amazing. Let's get some, let's show some love to Keely. And Keely, before we also conclude here, I at least got to get a picture of us together <laughs> and uh, blast it on the, on, on the social media channels here. Because we got to show our appreciation for you spending time with us tonight and sharing all the amazing things that you did. So, and I would encourage everybody else. Now's the time. Pull out your camera. Turn on your cameras. Turn it on. And I'm going to snap a picture here. Let's see. On three. One, two, three. Awesome. Let's show Keely some love on the social media channels. 
Keely, thank you so much. It was a real pleasure to have you with the Freedom Chasers tonight. Uh, make sure y'all connect with Keely. She prefers LinkedIn. And um, plug in, I need to sign up too for your um, your capital raising tip email, right? It's a link that you have, Keely, right in your LinkedIn profile. Yes, I'd love to, love to have you on there. The next one goes out tomorrow. Okay, y'all make sure to get signed up for that. And Keely, thank you so much. It was just a really fantastic time being with you this evening. I'm so grateful y'all bring me on. Thank you. God bless y'all. Like 2024 is going to be a major, massive year of success for all of you. I believe that. So believe it for yourself. Awesome. 100%. 100%.